1: you're listening to here's the catch with david lombardi matt barrows and dennis brown on the athletic podcast network well just about five days ago the 49ers had 67 players on their 90 man roster you fast forward through draft weekend and then the monday after that The 49ers now have 90 players on their 90-man roster. It's filled to the brim. Anybody else who the 49ers decide to add will have to wait for a cut of a player that's currently on the 90-man roster because 22 rookies and one veteran have joined the team in the past few days. The one veteran is Jason Verrett. The 49ers re-signed him on Monday. Intriguing pickup, one that we thought might be coming a couple months ago, but the 49ers obviously decided to bide their time. They waited to see how the ACL recovery is coming, and they almost certainly got Jason Verrett on an inexpensive flyer deal, which is the same thing that they signed him to in 2020, and that worked out quite well. But anyway, Verrett's probably one of the last things that we'll talk about today. First, we want to talk about the draft class. Nine drafted rookies, 13, at least 13 undrafted free agents for the 49ers, and they are moving forward, Matt, into a new season with a roster that, to me, I did the 53-man roster projection on Sunday and it came out on Monday. It seems to me that the 49ers have a very, very deep team at the margins. There's going to be a position battle that rages at, I think, every single group. This year, and that's exactly what you want if you're John Lynch architecting the roster. You just have to hope that iron can sharpen iron when it comes time for training camp. Yeah,
2: these teams all look at each other's rosters and they sort of uh, see which teams are rich in which positions, so that on cut down day in, in late August or early September, those are the. Uh, the rosters that you pilfer. And the 49ers have a lot of those. I think defensive line and now cornerback seem like two of the, the deeper ones. I mean, defensive line, we've got a group that's got Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, obviously, Jackson, Javon Kinlaw, well, D Ford for a little while, Samson Ebucom, Kevin Gibbons, Maurice Hurst, Kerry Hyder, Charles Amenihue, Hassan Ridgeway, Kamiko Ture, who they just signed uh, in the run up to the draft, and Jordan Willis. I mean that's a lot of names uh, and they'll keep 10 so that's certainly one area that that other team probably the Seahawks are going to uh, be paying very close attention to to see who the 49ers cut uh, but you know that's a uh, that's a nice luxury to have I think so I mean we could we could go down the list a little later on at, at cornerback it's almost as deep um, and then um, you know, running back is another spot that all of a sudden looks uh, looks deep, and uh, probably that was the biggest question mark that people had. Why use that second pick on a, on a running back? Well, I mean, if you watched last season and you saw this team go downhill when on that losing jag, it coincided with the fact that. They were out of running backs. I mean, that was the, the biggest reason, I thought, that things got off kilter there. And uh, I, I think it's clear that Kyle Shanahan doesn't want a repeat of that. So they, A, uh, added another running back, and B, brought in a running back who's got some sturdiness, some girth to him, and uh, Ty Davis Price. So uh, I, I think that's largely uh, what was behind that move. They want a guy that um, basically can take a pounding. Uh, as good as Elijah Mitchell was last year, and he really <laughs> saved the season in a lot of ways, he also took a beating and uh, was out a lot of games. So they need to sort of protect themselves against the, uh, the injury bug, which has bitten deeply into that position in particular uh, since Shanahan got here in 2017. And you know who actually saved the season at running back? Debo
1: Samuel. They, they That move was initially made because the 49ers had run out of players at the running back position, and it's not easy to find bodies that are competent enough to run Kyle Shanahan's system the way that the offense needs it to be run. Remember, they tried Jacquez Patrick while they're raiding other teams' practice squads around week four. None of that worked, and once the 49ers were really desperate, they moved Debo Samuel essentially full-time to the backfield for that stretch where, where they really, really needed that boost, and Debo was delivering an all pro performance at running back as well as wide receiver but when you need a literal all pro to make things work as the 49ers did last season at running back you could see why they're using more valuable draft picks at that position because it's not just interchangeable i think there's a common fallacy out there that thinks that running back is a replaceable position I would argue that it needs to be replaced often, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's replaceable. Every single season that the 49ers have gone through under Kyle Shanahan, it seems that by week 10, they're down to one running back on one leg. And last season, obviously, as you said, it was no exception. So they had to stuff Debo Samuel in there and it worked out. But uh, that certainly doesn't mean that those running backs are easily replaceable when, I mean, now you're in a contract dispute with Debo Samuel that, uh, you know, where one of the headlining items is his usage as a running back. So anyway... Uh, The way I look at it is Ty Davis-Price was a low third-round pick. It's not like they used a one on him. He was, what, a fourth or a fifth-round projection? With a low third-rounder, at a certain point, you just have to sit back and admit that the draft is a crapshoot, and these teams are going to be selecting the players that they they feel fit their system the best, and they want to make sure that they you know, don't get usurped by another team trying to grab the same guy. And it's two straight years now that the 49ers have used a lower third round pick on a running back, Trey Sermon in 2021 and Ty Davis Price in 2022. And neither of these two players, Matt, uh, I mean, there's a chance that neither of them works out, right? Trey Sermon already had a fairly rough rookie season. We'll see what he does in 2022 with Trey Lance at his side. Uh, but there's a chance that he flames out, there's a chance that Ty Davis Price flames out. But in my mind, that won't change the operative truth here. And that is that it's not easy to find a running back that actually fits and produces in Kyle Shanahan's system at the level that the 49ers need for this offense to run. They're heavily, heavily reliant on this position.
2: Yeah, and and uh, they scrutinize that position too. I mean, uh, they, they used that third rounder on Trey Sermon last year, and uh, Trey Sermon quickly got leapfrogged by Elijah Mitchell. Um, so you're right. I mean, it's not just a, a case where anybody can come in um uh you know it has to have the right stuff and and sometimes rookies don't so that'll be something to watch with with Ty Davis Price it'll be something to watch with sermon this year. I mean uh, I think the 49ers are uh, expecting him to make a huge leap from basically uh, being a, a non-entity last year um that they could have really used him and uh, they, they never really tapped him in the second half of the season. Uh, it, it's sort of an interesting running back year because Bobby Turner usually is the guy that, that has uh, you know, uh, all the control over that spot. He's a, uh, you know, a, a, a maniac when it comes to scouting these guys. <laughs> he calls them uh, from, you know, from February through the draft uh, to kind of gauge how responsive they are, how responsible they are, whether they'll fit in to his room. He didn't do any of that this year, he's, he's basically not on the team right now, he's recovering from hip surgeries and it's Anthony Lynn's room, so uh, that, that whole uh, running back core will change a little bit, um, I, I can only assume that Anthony Lynn had carte blanche, a, a lot of license to pick the, a guy that he likes and you know Ty Davis-Price is, is sort of uh, an Anthony Lynn type of guy. Uh, not a not a real fast runner, although I think he ran in the four fours, which is not, nothing to to sneeze at. Um, but a, a bigger-bodied guy, a guy that likes contact, that likes to run over uh, opponents, and that really fits in with with the, the Debo Samuel, the George Kittle, the Juwan Jennings mentality. Uh, you've got a, a a quarterback now who's going to weigh about I don't know what Trey Lance is two thirty um at least has tried to run over some opponents uh last season didn't didn't always work out for him but uh there's a power element to this team that uh, I think Ty Davis Price fits very well into
1: well I think the two offensive linemen that the 49ers drafted fit well into that and I mean we saw them go bigger along the o-line last season when Uh, They picked Aaron Banks, who was, what, 338 pounds at the senior bowl. And we said, whoa, maybe the 49ers are going to start to try to maul some people up front. Typically, this had been a team that had relied on smaller, nimbler, more athletic guards. But I think there's been a definite refocusing on the power, not only of the skill positions that's been at the forefront for a while now, but of the offensive line. And if you're going to be running some read option with Trey Lance, that means you're probably going to be running some inside zone with the running backs you're never going to take the outside zone away fully but I think the 49ers run game is getting more multiple and Ty Davis Price and Trey Sermon and even Elijah Mitchell they all fit that mold I mean these are running backs who weigh around 210 pounds Davis Price weighed 230 for LSU last year I don't think he's going to run at 230 for the 49ers maybe at 220 he slimmed down to about 210 to run you know go through the testing circuit but I think that the prototypical 49ers running back it's you know we started the Shanahan-Lynch regime with the prototypical back being 195 to 200 pounds. Think about Matt Breida, 198. Um, I forgot how heavy Jarek McKinnon was, but obviously he hardly played for the 49ers. Now you see that weight be about 210. Now, Jermichael Hasty, who's obviously lighter than the other 49ers running backs, he's exceptionally small. So I think that, I mean, you're onto something, Matt, when you talk about them wanting to, to toss their weight around, bruise a bit from the running back position um, uh, more than they did before. And I mentioned the two offensive linemen. Well, um, both of these guys that the 49ers picked in this draft, first you go Spencer Burford in the fourth round out of UTSA, and then Nick Zakel out of Fordham uh, around later, both of them have ragdoll type of plays on their film where they're tossing guys around. I mean, they're going to need to develop more strength to be able to do that at the NFL level. But every rookie has to do that, right? The NFL is a stronger man's game. What popped off to me in the film of both linemen, Zickel and Burford, was the fact that they did bully some defenders at the college level. And that's something I didn't see from previous 49ers mid-round O-line picks like Colton McKivitz and Justin School, uh, even Jalen I didn't see that on their tape. For Zakal and for Burford, I definitely saw it.
2: Yeah, and uh, Zakal uh, is interesting. He, he's sort of my Mr. Irrelevant uh, coming out of the draft. I just didn't know much about him, and I've been trying to, to learn more today. And um, I, you know, I, I think the 49ers see him as a guard and, and perhaps as a, as a center. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it uh, took a lot of flack for not drafting a center. Although they, they signed a couple of undrafted guys who are intriguing, but Sakel, and, and I don't think it'll happen in, in year one for him. But um, y- you see some center qualities with him. Um, he's got okay length. He's six six. I think his arms are you know, a little over uh, thirty two inches, which is uh, too short for a tackle. They want those guys to have really long levers. You know, thirty four or thirty five inches is is ideal. Uh, but he's, uh, he's got good movement skills and he's smart. Uh, he's coming out of Fordham with uh, a couple of degrees. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a possible uh, developmental type of player at that position. I don't know what his role will be in, uh, as a rookie, but you can sort of see if, uh, let's just say that Alex Mack does retire. Uh, you know, the name that uh, we've previously been kind of penciling in at, at center has been Daniel Brunskill, but listening to uh, Shanahan and, and John Lynch talk in, in recent weeks, um, they always bring up Jake Brendel as uh, as a possibility there, and, it, and I would I would guess that um, without Mac, Brendel becomes the, the likely starter, week one starter at center, uh, and that would allow them to keep Brunskill at right guard, or it would allow them to have Brunskill as the sort of Johnny on the spot Along the offensive line on game day is a guy that can come in and, and play multiple positions if there is there is an injury, and then you start to think, okay, all right, what's what's the future look like there? Uh, and then you start to look at Donovan West and this guy Nick uh, Zakel. Um, uh, they all have uh, traits. None of them, however, are um, you know highly drafted players. So they don't uh, leap out of the position. Um, They're all guys that uh, have to develop there. But uh, it's a question mark moving forward. But I think that's sort of the rough blueprint that the 49ers have at the position. Obviously, they would love it if uh, Alex Mack showed up uh, on Wednesday and said, Hey, you know what? I decided to play a a 14th season here. That would make things a lot easier for them. But it it does sound as if there's a plan. I don't know whether it's a good plan or not. uh, But they do have a plan of succession in case he does decide to hang it up.
1: And hey, just in case, J.C. Treder, veteran still available, hasn't missed a game in five years, and he's conspicuously available, I think, as you wrote, Matt, a few days ago on the free agent market, played in the system under Kevin Stefanski for the Browns. He's a plus center, maybe not quite a pro bowler or an all-pro, but if the 49ers really want a proven veteran there, you go for Treader. Now, the interesting thing about Treader is that he has missed quite a bit of practice time over the past few years. Uh, He's got some knee and ankle issues, and that could be part of the holdup as to why he's not signed. So it's funny, he hasn't missed game time. He's proven very durable when it counts, but the 49ers also will, I think, highly, highly value practice time for the quarterback center battery this season if Trey Lance is under center. You're going to want your, you know, your, Starter there for the second year QB to work with. So that might be part of the holdup. But hey, we just saw the 49ers sign Jason varetta one year front flyer deal. And if there are some concerns about JC Treader's longevity, then maybe he'd be down to sign a deal that's more amenable for the 49ers to fit into their salary cap situation. I just, you know, really like how this team has created multiple paths forward along the offensive line with both the draft and and undrafted free agency. They didn't do anything until Saturday, right? But once they did start making moves, you can see how these moves can impact the depth chart on the roster immediately. And the one to me that is like a whoa, that th- this can actually make a change in the short run, Spencer Burford is a polished player. Way more polished than Nick Zakel who you know barely saw a couple days of guard time at the senior bowl right he was a tackle that moved to guard at the senior bowl and uh, you know he improved the senior bowl but he wasn't really he wasn't really ready for it yeah let's put it that way so he's going to take some polishing but in the case of Burford I think he can make that move with the anchor that he has sooner rather than later and if he can toss himself into that right guard competition immediately Imagine the, the possibilities that could open up for the 49ers if Daniel Brunskill has the flexibility to move to either center or to a swing tackle role. And then, boom, all of a sudden, if Brunskill's your swing tackle, well, then maybe a guy like Colton McKivitz doesn't make the roster or Jalen Moore uh, has to fight to make the roster. Then you have players like Donovan West who are probably on the outside looking in as undrafted free agents right now. But if Alex Mack retires in that scenario, you'd have extra room in the offensive line to have them step up and upgrade what has been a sketchy depth situation for the 49ers. So uh, I think the goal for any team is to have its top offensive line pick, compete for a starting spot. And if the 49ers get a legitimate competition, from Spencer Burford, it could open up a whole lot of doors on the offensive line.
2: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see where these guys are lining up when we uh, watch them in their their first uh, OTA practices later this month. Um, I, I, I love the fact that some of these guys uh, have position versatility, but at some point, um, uh, I, I wanna see a, a Jalen Moore concentrate on guard and not do a little bit of guard, a little bit of tackle. Uh, they, they drafted a lot of these tackles, college tackles, uh, w- with the thought of moving them to guard, but they end up playing a, a trickle of, of tackle uh, as well. Um, McKivitz did it more. Spencer Burford was a was a tackle in college. Nick Sakell was a tackle in college. Uh, some of these guys need to become guards full time in order to 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 nail a role, um, uh, or else you got this. Uh, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none issue going on on the old line, which I think that that's happened a bit um, uh, the last couple of years. So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, they, they still need a, a swing tackle. I don't know where Justin School is as far as his recovery from last year's ACL. He's almost a year out from that. So it'll be interesting to see where he is. Um, uh, obviously, Mike uh, McGlinchey won't be taking part in the OTAs. Uh, as he recovers from his, uh, his quad tear. So um, that should tell us right away who the front-runner uh, swing tackle is. And then whoever's not there, I just hope that those guys concentrate on becoming starting-caliber guards because uh, the size and the feet obviously are there. It's just the practice. It's just the reps that, uh, that Jalen Moore, Spencer Burford... Uh, a Nick Zakel need at that position that's going to uh, uh, get them into a starting role.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Well, let's go through the rest of the 49ers draft class and maybe some of the most prominent undrafted free agents that signed with the team right after the event. I know that we've already talked about Ty davis Price third round pick at running back we've obviously talked about zakel and spencer burford the two o-line picks and you mentioned at the very top of the show drake jackson but he deserves i think a little bit more of an involved discussion because he was the 49ers top pick in this draft they didn't do anything on thursday which was the opening day the first round And the 49ers inaction actually led to an active day because it meant that they were uh, almost certainly keeping Debo Samuel, right? If something was going to happen, it was going to happen on day one. didn't happen on day one. The 49ers got a couple trade offers that were definite low balls. You reported the the value from the Jets. What was it? It was a, a first rounder and some kind of some kind of pick swap that would have really screwed the 49ers.
2: Yeah, fifth, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Jets, if the 49ers had taken it, uh, the Jets would have gotten Debo Samuel and a fifth round. No, no, I'm sorry. Debo Samuel and the 49ers' second rounder, the, the pick that they used on Drake Jackson, for the Jets' number 10 overall pick and a fifth rounder, uh, which basically comes out to Debo Samuel for one, mid first round pick and so the 49ers barely uh replied to that it was just so far below what they uh what would have moved the needle for them on that so uh that uh that that passed and I believe that the Lions offer was even below that it was the Lions uh number 32 overall pick uh plus something else. Uh, but in, in terms of points, it was even below what the Jets offer was. <laughs> the Jets the Jets offer was pretty meager.
1: Yeah, and the 49ers are in the business of trying to improve the roster and you know perpetuate this window of contention that they're currently in. So you have to make the team better in the short run if you lose Debo Samuel. And that's really, really hard when Debo Samuel literally made the offense over 4X as efficient when he was on the field versus when he was off of it last season. So the 49ers are looking at these offers, and they're like, well, if all we're essentially getting in return is a mid-first-round pick and a draft, mind you, that was more – middle to bottom heavy than top heavy, the 49ers saw no path forward. There's no way that the team doesn't go backwards in that situation if the 49ers had executed that trade. So they obviously saw their best option as keeping Debo Samuel, hoping, being competent. I think I sensed confidence from Lynch and Shanahan this weekend that they can resolve uh, the contractual situation. Leverage is on the 49ers side. And uh, obviously they were happy to, to continue picking for the first time at number 61, where... They did nab Drake Jackson. Now, uh, he's an edge rusher out of USC, had a tumultuous college career, probably through not much fault of his own. I mean, it was tumultuous because that coaching staff wasn't very good and it got fired during his last season. Uh, last season, uh, a, a, a year ago, May 4th, 2021, Dan Brugler came out with his first 2022 mock draft mat, and he had Drake Jackson going number seven. Top 10 pick. Uh, he obviously slipped down to number 61 because of what happened over the next year, but I think the 49ers firmly believe that they have somebody who's got top 10 talent in tow now, and they envision him as a bookend for Nick Bosa.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a nice pick because you can envision um, you know a, a rookie role for him, a, a distinct rookie role, which would be sort of the, the situational pass rusher, the guy that comes in opposite Bosa on... Uh, obvious passing downs, and so maybe that's uh, fifteen twenty uh, snaps a game. Uh, that that to me would be the the very bottom number. Um, you know, when when D Ford was healthy in two thousand nineteen, he was getting close to fifty uh, uh, percent of the defensive snaps, and he was more of a specialist role as well. So there's that, but I mean, this is a guy that is going to be around uh, probably two hundred and seventy pounds. So in this day and age, that's big for a defensive end. Um, Nick Bosa actually has, has uh, gotten down from that because he's, he's wanted to add quickness over time. My point being is that he can be the type of every down uh, end that, that Bosa is. Uh, Bosa, obviously, uh, they like to rotate those guys in and out so he doesn't play every down, but um, he, he's good on passing downs, he's good on running downs, et cetera, et cetera. Drake Jackson has that ability, and you've you've seen the videos. I mean, this guy has. Um, I don't know if his quickness is off the charts. I think there were some some players who were probably faster off the snap, but he's got really remarkable bend, um, fluidity, um, flexibility. He, he does backflips at the swimming pool. His his uh, sack celebrations, where he does somersaults and. Roundoffs and all sorts of things are amazing for somebody his size. My point is that he's very, very athletic. Uh, so you get him in the weight room, you have that athleticism, he and Nick Bosa sit down, and Bosa starts to kind of teach him the technique that uh, has made Bosa one of the best pass rushers in the league. And that's why uh, you 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 start to see why the 49ers are so excited about this guy's future.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some of those gymnastics tumbles that he was doing. I mean, it was crazy. And the fact that he could do that at 260 to 270 pounds is is definitely eye-popping. I mean, it's one thing for Richie James at 185 pounds to do a celebratory backflip after the 49ers won those games (laughs) in 2019. It's an entirely different thing when Drake Jackson's doing that and nearly 100 pounds heavier. So you're
2: saying that uh, they're going to put Drake back there in the victory formation when they're they're winning uh, winning these games? That would be awesome if they did.
1: Yeah, well, you know, speaking of that, Jason Poe, the undrafted free agent out of Mercer, who has advertised himself as both a center and a fullback because he runs a four nine forty? Talk about guys who are able to do stuff at their weight that that shouldn't be able to do that at that weight. Uh, there's Drake Jackson who should be in the victory formation. I think that's a great idea, Matt. But Jason Poe is extreme is extremely intriguing to me. And that you know you mentioned it in your UDFA piece on Athletic yesterday. Everybody should should uh, subscribe to the to the athletic check out max peets on the undrafted free agency ranked all 13 of them uh poe has his shorter arms so he's probably not the most legitimate offensive line prospect and that's probably why he, he's trying to brand himself and why he did brand himself as as an offensive weapon as well and he showed on this video that he posted on twitter these routes that he's running and the guy's 300 pounds and he runs smooth routes he's got soft hands and You know, speaking of big guys in positions that you don't expect big guys to be in, if he somehow makes the roster as a backup offensive lineman, uh, or even the practice squad as a backup offensive lineman, what's going to stop Kyle Shanahan from having the occasional package play with a 300 pound fullback? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Yeah. So that's awesome, right? I mean, the, the 49ers are trying to bruise other teams, they're trying to upsize with muscle on the perimeter. While defenses are downsizing, right? Debo Samuel knocking people's mouth guards out. Kyle Juszczyk doing stuff all over the field. Um, Jason Poe could be the next step. I I don't care if it's only for two snaps a season, but there's got to be two snaps where you could fit in a 300-pounder to work against the 170-pound corner.
2: Yeah, I I would love to see a a goal line formation where – Uh, uh, Kyle Juszczyk is lined up at his traditional fullback spot, but Jason Poe, what is he, six feet, 300 pounds? I mean, this guy is like a boulder. He's like a huge bowling ball. is behind him, and then they run behind uh, Trent Williams on the left side and pound the ball through. So um, I wonder, I mean... There's no way that Kyle Shanahan watches this guy's tape and doesn't sort of fantasize about uh, the things that he can do with him. Uh, Jason Paul has to make the team, a and then he would have to be uh, in uniform on game days, so he needs to have a different role. Um, and it'll be interesting to see him up close. Just, just how much smaller is he than the other centers? I mean, there are centers in this league. Um, that aren't, uh, aren't huge guys. I, I grew up with uh, watching Jeff Bostick in, uh, in Washington. He was a member of the Hogs. He wasn't that much bigger than 6 feet, 300 pounds. Uh, Weston Richburg was, was well under uh, 300 pounds. He was around you know, 280, uh, 290 when he was with the 49ers. So you don't have to be massive to be a center. Um, it helps. Alex Mack is a big, big guy. And uh, you, you saw him, um, you saw that, that size, the effectiveness of that size this year. I wonder if Jason Poe could be a defensive tackle, that, that type of guy. He sort of has the same build as uh, Kalia Davis, uh, one of their six-round picks. So um, I think it's a, a case of, let's just get this guy in the building and see what we can make of him
1: so much of how a player projects in the trenches is related to that arm length and i guess at every position arm length is a big deal in football and that's the one thing that's i think going to hold jason poe back but the versatility the ability to run at that weight that's the one thing that could propel him forward so it's going to be fascinating and we have to remember uh, this is a good reminder for dealing with any discussion about the 49ers roster. It's not just about the 53-man. That practice squad, especially since it expanded two seasons ago, is as much of a taxi squad and a developmental squad as anything. And, uh, you know, linebacker. The 49ers have Aziz Shire and Dre Greenlaw entering their final seasons under contract. It's very, very hard to see them re-signing both of those players past 2022. So I could even see a scenario in which they don't re-sign any of them. So the two linebackers they picked up in undrafted free agency, Jeremiah Gemmel out of North Carolina then O Olubi out of San Diego State who runs that 44440, both of those guys are they have the initial inside track to be the practice squad developmental candidates that if they impress the 49ers enough this season, they can be the replacements for Greenlaw and Al Shire. So it's not just about the 53 for guys like Poe and for guys like Ol- I always struggle with his name, Olubi <laughs> Poe, Olubi uh, Jeremiah Gemmel I mean, th- th- this is about the holistic look at the roster for years to come and I think that's why it's important for us to look at both the 9 person draft class and that 13 player undrafted free agent class, Matt.
2: Yeah, I, I looked at a lot of those uh, undrafted guys, uh, I'm, I'm- I'm forgetting which day of the week it is, but I think it was Sunday that I was doing this. <laughs> and uh, Jeremiah uh, Gimmel from North Carolina probably jumped out the most on, on tape. I mean, he just looks like uh, an NFL linebacker. He reminds me a, a lot of, of Fred Warner because uh, he's a little bit taller and he's got really long arms and just kind of flies around the field. Um, his story, the reason he went undrafted is he uh, injured a shoulder ligament uh, in September. And played through the whole season with it, which is uh, courageous in its in itself. And then he had the choice of, okay, do I get this taken care of in January, or do I go and play in the senior bowl and then go to the combine? And if I do that, I'll probably get drafted, but then I'll have to get the surgery, and it'll affect me in in the spring when I arrive with one of these teams. Well, he he chose the alternate path. He he got the surgery done right away, which meant no senior bowl, no combine, n- nobody has a 40 time on him, nobody has this, that, or the other, and so he goes undrafted. But, um, you know, he could easily end up on the 53-man roster or um, certainly on the practice squad. And then, as, as you noted, uh, the 49ers will probably keep one of Aziz Alshair or Drake Greenlaw, but not both, um, in which case they would need a strong side linebacker, a sort of an heir apparent. And uh, I think this guy has got it. I mean, he's smart enough. Um, you know, real leader on the team. They called him the general yeah. at UNC. And uh, he could either be the the weak side guy, or if Fred Warner gets hurt, he could be the uh, the the Mike, the guy that wears the uh, the green dot. So he's a really. I mean, that's sort of the under the radar. I think signing there. And then, yeah, you know, the other two guys that jumped out were the the receivers and. I think that's where you know the 49ers uh depth or lack thereof at that position really sort of helped them ironically is that these these agents all know uh the chances their clients will have of making a team uh when they go and draft it and the 49ers were a team that uh if you were representing a good wide receiver you had that you had the 49ers circled and so they added a couple of guys who very prolific in college um Let's see, Tay Martin at Oklahoma State uh, led this uh, Oklahoma State in, in receiving this past year. Reminds me of Kendrick Bourne. It actually looks a little bit better than Kendrick Bourne as far as his college tape. And then uh, Taseer Mack, who was uh, um, Kenny Pickett, the only first-round quarterback, his favorite target at Pitt. Um, and he's got size, good speed. I mean, I, I, you watch these guys and you, and you wonder, oh, why didn't this guy get drafted? Uh, and uh, part of it is, is John Lynch's point that he kept making uh, in the run-up to the draft is that there were a lot of guys in this year's draft class because of uh, COVID, and a lot of guys played five seasons in college, and this was the season that the, some of those, uh, those five-year guys came out, and so that pushes a, a taysier Mac. Um, a Tay Martin out of the draft, and the, the 49ers benefited from that.
1: There's these loud sirens right outside right now. So, yeah, David, are you, David, are you robbing <laughs> a bank right they're, now? They're coming after me. <laughs> they're coming after me here in uh, Redwood City. There's, a, I, I just I seem to be on this street where they pass quite often. Maybe I'm right by the fire department or something. But uh, yeah, the I'm not in trouble. I'm still here. I'm ready to finish the podcast. We got a few more minutes to go. And I'm thinking about the fact that this, this draft class was so deep and so middle to bottom heavy that it, it just didn't make sense for the 49ers to trade up. And remember, John Lynch talked about the fact that they were on the phone a couple times thinking about trading up, and both times they were like, wait, we're what? Well, we're four, four picks away, and there's still like 10 players on the board that we would really like at this pick. Why should we trade up? because there's a chance, there's a certainty that somebody that we really like is going to be available when we come onto the clock. So the 49ers didn't trade up. They made all nine picks. They made 13 undrafted free agent signings. And a lot of these UDFA signings, as you said, look to have been very draftable players. And it just so happened to be a deep year for the draft. And it worked out well for the 49ers because uh, they had traded for Trey Lance in 2021 and only had those middle-round picks. They started at number 61 and then went down through uh, the seventh round. Mr. Irrelevant was one of their picks, the final one of the 2022 draft. Number 262 went to Brock Purdy, quarterback from Iowa State. Now, being Mr. Irrelevant, Matt, uh, comes with some perks. In June, after OTAs are done, Brock Purdy is going to get a custom-made surfboard and he's going to get to surf at Newport Beach, and he's going to get to go to Disneyland. The last pick of the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, goes through this whole pomp and circumstance every year. So to to me, it doesn't sound like a bad deal at all.
2: Well, I don't know. Standing in line at at Disneyland (laughs) seems like more of a chore. I would think it comes with a fast pass. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Then you get the the glare of all the parents and kids as you (laughs) kind of skip them in line. Um, But yeah, no, uh, it's interesting because... Um, and in hearing Kyle Shanahan uh, talk about why Purdy was a selection, I, I went back to, to C.J. Beathard. I, I know that Shanahan mentioned uh, Nick Mullins quite a bit as a, as a comp, but uh, it also sounded a lot like what Shanahan said about Beathard, which was uh, we saw him do in college what we're going to ask him to do in, in the NFL. So it's not that... Uh, huge a projection. Played a lot of snaps. Played a lot in the pocket. Uh, this, that, and the other, uh, which all makes absolute sense. Where it's interesting though is that the the guy that they took last year at the position, Trey Lance, didn't have a lot of experience doing that. He did play in the pocket, of course, but um, the the you know the the scouting report on Lance is that he just didn't have a lot of. Attempts a lot of uh, time back there, so um, you know the the highest quarterback they've ever taken has an entirely different background than the guys that uh, Shanahan felt very comfortable taking in previous years. I don't know what the moral of that story is. I don't have a a sweeping conclusion here, but I just thought it was interesting that uh, that uh, that dichotomy quarterback dichotomy exists.
1: Why don't we wrap this up by uh, talking about the secondary. This is what we opened the show with. so I think this will bring it nice and full circle. The 49ers re-signed Jason Verrett on Monday. Nice flyer deal for a team that sought to create true competition in the cornerback room this offseason, and I think the 49ers have absolutely accomplished that. They drafted two defensive backs as well, and they also signed three safeties right after the draft. But the two draftees, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, who is a, a really toolsy corner from Penn State, 4'4", 200-plus pounds, smart guy. I mean, I asked him who he models his game after, and the first name that came out of his mouth was Richard Sherman, so that's always a good thing. And then around ahead of Castro Fields in the 5th, the 49ers picked up Samuel Womack, who is a 5'9 nickelback out of Toledo. But the speaking of Richard Sherman, Samuel Womack has the arm length and wingspan of Richard Sherman, who's 6'3". So he's 59 which you want that you actually want the the slot corners to be shorter so they're more agile to take on the shorter slot receivers but you always want the long arms. And Samuel Womack absolutely has those long arms. Plus, he can fly. He's a four-four guy in the 40s. So to me, I think that he, this is their definite nickel of the future. They obviously lost k1 Williams in free agency. But I wonder now in the big picture, Matt, how the 49ers are going to play this at nickel in 2022, at least to begin the season, because Womack's a rookie. So maybe he doesn't start week one. But now that Jason Verrett's in the fold, if he's healthy enough by week one, uh, you know, he's a sticky corner. He's a really good player. Charvarius Ward, Jason Verrett, Emmanuel Mosley, Ambry Thomas. You know, either Mosley or Thomas, one of those two guys could probably kick inside, play some slot to buy some time for Samuel Womack to get
2: ready. Yeah, I mean, we asked uh, Fred Warner this the other day, and he uh, raised the name Darquez as, as the as the nickel right now which is probably the case. I mean, they're not practicing, but um, it, it, I'm just saying that he's another option there. I mean, uh, for me, I sort of see it as uh, Varette beginning the season on some sort of injury list. I forget which one makes the most sense for a guy coming off a uh, 2021 injury, but um, he works his way back by midseason, and then all of a sudden the 49ers for eight games and – Perhaps a playoff run have a fully healthy Jason Barrett who hasn't been worn down by the season like somebody else. So they they have absolutely an embarrassment of riches there. I mean they they had to really fight to get this guy uh, Quantrez Knight um, from UCLA. He, he's bounced around everywhere. He started at Maryland, uh, went to Toledo, I believe, um, and then went to UCLA. But he plays sort of that. You know, all these colleges have different uh, names for it. Uh, UCLA calls it the Striker, which is basically the nickel cornerback. But they end up blitzing quite a bit, making you know sort of a quasi linebacker defensive back. He's a possibility too. So um, you know, it, it went from uh, a position that was a little bit weak heading into the draft to all of a sudden they've they're kind of uh, teeming with cornerback uh, possibilities. I mean. Tariq Castro-Fields plays at Penn State, plays those Ohio State running backs all the time, Uh, I mean, uh, those Ohio State receivers, uh, you know, he's battle-tested. He's played in big games. He's not going to be daunted by the competition uh, this spring and summer. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see where those guys line up and where they end up at the end of training camp.
1: Yeah, for, for the, you know, the four anders we talk about how deep the defensive line room is, that they've, it's not as deep in the secondary, but boy, it is stocked this year with uh, some talent that should make these competitions interesting. The primary difference being, 2021 the 49ers had jason verrett on the roster but they were reliant on him being healthy right 2022 they have jason verrett on the roster but he's just the icing on the cake they're definitely not reliant on jason verrett being healthy and i think there's a massive difference between those two positions anyway we're going to be with you guys a lot more often we have this new feature called live rooms on the athletic that matt and i will be uh running with uh quite a bit so be sure to always be checking out uh the latest audio content that we have for you and obviously be sure to subscribe to the page that's our quick draft recap we'll have much more soon for matt barrows this is david lombardi this is the here's the catch podcast we'll talk to you all soon